Hello and welcome back to Castle Rock Critical. It's uh, time for our next Stephen King retrospective review and this evening we're going to be talking about Stand By Me, the 1986 movie based on The Body, the 1982 short story from the collection Different Seasons. Yay! This evening you've got the pleasure of uh, just the girls. So uh, I'm Emma, your host, and I'm joined by Lucy. Hello, other girl. It's nice just to be the ladies for yes. a change, isn't it? Girls night! Woo! Whoop, whoop. Uh, we are also both book readers, so you've got both perspectives uh, from uh, both of us tonight, which will be really interesting. So what we're going to do, as is tradition, is go through our initial thoughts and blueberry review the book and the film. And then we will go through the synopsis uh, bit by bit. And as we're going on, we will talk about the differences from the book to the adaptation and then we'll get to the end and tell you what we're going to be doing next time surprise for lucy as well because i'm in charge rogue yay so lucy kick us off you read the short story some time ago different seasons one of your favorite collections am i right um it is indeed when i was growing up my older brother was a big stephen king fan so his books are always lying around and the larger ones always seemed quite daunting to young young me but young Lucy, the, there's a dream, nightmares and dreamscapes is another one. Yep. Um, but yes, different seasons. I remember reading. I'm pretty sure I watched both Stand by Me and Shawshank before reading the books. Memory is hazy, um, but I believe that after watching the book, I believe that after watching the films, I really wanted to read the books because they didn't seem like typical Stephen King fare. Mm-hmm. And I love different seasons. Um, and that will come on to it, but obviously horror is not always supernatural, and I think nope. Sam by Me does show that. Sometimes, as we know from Castle Rock, horror can just be very human, can't yep. it? The banality of evil, I believe the phrase is. That is it, well done, I like that one. So, uh, if you could explain the score system and rate the uh, film and the short story specifically uh, for our listeners, that would be lovely, Lucy. Okay, so any newcomers to the podcast, welcome. Um, we rate what we're reviewing out of five blueberries so you can have zero blueberries for something that is god awful um some of that has been kicking around on the worst of netflix one of our other shows go and mm-hmm. have a listen to that and five being the best like avengers avengers Infinity yeah pretty War. much avengers and some episodes of game of thrones probably yeah Probably. So what would you give uh, the short story first, Lucy? Okay, so again, full disclosure, haven't read it for many a moon. Stayed with me. I'm going to give it four blueberries. Nice, solid score. And what about the film, Stand By Me, classic? Stand By Me is one of my favourite films. When I was younger, it was my favourite film. Um, Means a lot to me for reasons that we will go into, I'm sure. And I'm going to give it five blueberries. Ooh, look at that. Mm. Not only Game of Thrones and Infinity War then. Stand by me is up there in the upper echelons. There we go. Set some records. Um, So I actually recently read different seasons cover to cover because we were covering the Shawshank Redemption, but also Mm -hmm. Lucy's recommendation. So I have also obviously read The Body. Uh, I loved it. It was really nice to see a different um, side of Stephen King. And actually mm. there's a like an epilogue to the collection where he talks about having written most of these after he's written a big horror novel. I yeah. think he wrote, wrote Shawshank after Carrie maybe or yeah, that would check something out. like that. Which is quite, it's quite nice because it kind of feels like he needs a bit of a break from his horror too. Mm. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed The Body. I thought it was great. I'm, I'm going to echo your score on that. It's a four out of five for me. It's slightly, it sits in that really weird thing between a short story, novella and a novel, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a bit of an awkward one. I felt it was slightly too long, but really kind of hit home for me. I rewatched Stand By Me this week for the first time in years and it's always been up there with like one of the classics that I really enjoy but I'd forgotten what a bloody fantastic beautiful film it is. Yeah. Like the cast and you know we'll talk about some of those as we go along just blew me away again and considering this is over 30 years old it is an absolute stormer of a film yeah. and for me it's a five out of five. Yeah well we're in complete consensus. We are. This is going to be a shit podcast yeah. isn't it? The no- end. 
bye bye no disagreements whatsoever this is what happens when you put the girls in charge this is what happens when you do good stuff mm. uh, so we're going to go uh, as I said through the plot synopsis we're going to talk about um, all the things that happen how it made it feel um, and whether there are any differences uh, with the, the short story and just to give you a heads up this is actually an incredibly faithful adaptation mm. um, obviously as Lucy knows but you guys might not uh, to the short story itself so uh, it's quite a nice review I think we'll be getting here but maybe with some interesting little bits and pieces but before we do that it's time for a little advert break the house is burning hi Georgie I'm afraid I have a tendency to turn up the heat red rum red rum Hello, it's that time again. It's the advert break. And this is the opportunity for us to tell you about all of the other really cool things that we do across the old uh, fan critical uh, podcasts. So recently we have relaunched our uh, Game of Thrones coverage on the sub pod, Bastards and Broken Things. Mm. We did our first episode review this week for episode one of season eight and it was very exciting. It's a good laugh. And we were very excited. We were very excited. You've even got some live reactions which is pretty fun because we all watch the episode together. Uh, So do search for Bastards and Broken Things on your favourite podcasting app. Subscribe, listen and leave us a review. We have also recently launched Patreon. Uh, First things first, thank you so much to all of the people who are already supporting us. But if you feel like you've got a couple of bucks spare, it would be fantastic if you could too. There are various tiers from a couple of bucks to little bit more and you get anything from exclusive content for cast it episodes which are hilarious right the way up to being able to appear on a podcast of your choosing crazy that is mental and proper exciting some other really cool stuff we've been launching and lucy mentioned this a little bit earlier in the podcast recently uh, john and gaz have been doing the worst of netflix if you want to know what a zero blueberry film is like you have got to check this it's out. It's very funny, it, if I do say so myself. It is a riot. Uh, so they launched that with Leo the Lion. Uh, no spoilers about what the Blueberry score was on that. They've just recently done Left Behind. <laughs> I kind of want to watch that now. I kind of do too. It's made me want to watch it, so good job, guys. Described it as a uh, low-budget <laughs> low budget blockbuster, high-budget Christian movie. <laughs> yeah. So uh, My guys, interest is peaked. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, come on, you've nailed it for me there. And uh, coming up in the next week or so, they're going to be covering The Alienator which sounds horrific to be honest but I cannot wait for their review not only that next week it's the release of Avengers Endgame crazy times are upon us Uh, we are all going to see it together except for Gaz because he's in Australia uh, and then we will be recording our podcast shortly after to let you guys know exactly what we thought so if you want to keep up with all of the content that we're doing then do follow us on social media we are fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com if you want to go a bit traditional send us an email we love them and um, you know correct us or give us your opinions on stuff we've talked about we really enjoy that uh, we are fan underscore critical on Instagram and if you want to get us on Twitter how do you do that Luce? at fancriticalpod and you can find us on Facebook as fancritical as well as all of the major podcasting platforms but for now let's get back to Stand By Me you So, as is tradition, we are going to run through the plot summary and point out the differences as we go. And as we said, the film is pretty faithful to the story, Mm. so hopefully there won't be too many of those, but a couple that I think are worth pointing out. Yes. Uh, But before we do that, I'm going to do a quick scene setting to let you know who all of the main cast are played by, because this film plays host to some really awesome actors in Mm. their early careers. Mm. So, uh, well debatable on some of them first up Gordy Lachance who is our, our main man is played by Will Wheaton who knew I know you know when I was this is how much of a I when I was young same now but I, I used to get obs- obsessed with um with films and I, I was quite obsessed with Stand By Me and that kind of slice of Americana that probably never even existed but despite the traumatic events of their childhood I found it to be a very um, idyllic way to to live yeah. really the the way that they all connected and their little adventure so i loved it so much i used to watch he will wheaton when he was a bit older was in one of the star trek iterations oh, yeah. and i i don't like star trek but i used to watch it because i was like mm, will wheaton good old will wheaton shorts i mean shit short story but that's how much oh, i love this film and that is uh, that's only the first character uh so next up we have chris chambers he's played by river phoenix oh my god i Just mean makes me sad we will come time. into this but He's heartbreakingly it talented. Is, it is heart-wrenching 
the final scene is like a punch to the gut every time i find it borderline unbearable to watch i finished up watching this um at work at my desk during my lunch break uh last couple of days and uh, almost cried so that was a bit embarrassing but just you forget how much of an incredible talent he was speaking of incredible talents teddy duchamp is played by Corey feldman Two Corys. Oh. Last remaining Corey. Last remaining Corey. you got to love him, though. He was in The you? Goonies, which I watched the other day. Yeah. Again, I love these 80s, like... Who doesn't, Nostalgia though? kid films. He was, he's great. He's really good in this. He has hidden he depths. And uh, Jerry O'Connell. I haven't seen him for, for a while. Did you used to watch Sliders? I did, which I is love exactly Sliders. what I was thinking of. He plays <laughs> our, our Vern. Poor old little You would never Vern. think that he would turn into this chiselled hunk. No, and he is a chiselled hunk. I mean, I haven't seen him for a while, but yeah, and he's in uh, Jerry Maguire. Yeah, I checked him out on IMDb earlier. He is still pretty hot. Fair play to him. Well done, Jerry. Uh, And last but not least, I suppose the one that we'll really remember is uh, Ace Merrill's actor. That makes no sense. Uh, (laughs) Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. He was a babe, man. Yeah, I mean, again, Lost Boys. Oh, one of my favourite films. These guys are just in the, yeah, the best films. We should be reviewing more of these films, Lucy. Mm. Just for, you know. Mental note. Nostalgia. Nostalgia purposes. The Nostalgia podcast. Um, so, while we're going through the synopsis, try and imagine these characters in their younger guise playing out the actions as we go through them. Uh, so, some of this I am going to slightly reduce because it is basically the entire script. But we start off with a guy in his car, he's reading the newspaper, headline article, guy's been stabbed to death at a fast food restaurant, right? This guy is overcome with a wave of nostalgia and starts to narrate a story uh, from when he was young, 12 years old, first saw a dead person. Pretty good opening. Yep. Pretty solid. Intriguing. Very intriguing. It's a different way to do it, and obviously that newspaper article comes to fruition a little bit later on when we realise who that person is. But we'll, we'll get there at the end. And is that our first mention of it being Castle Rock? I think it must be, yeah. We like to start things with Although, Castle Rock with people in cars. Filmed and set in Castle Rock, Oregon, not Maine. Which I thought was weird. Mm. I, lo- I saw that today and, and it only occurred to me when I was just checking what all the differences were and I thought, why Oregon? I think, I don't know whether it's, I don't know much about the geography of Maine or Oregon. But I don't know whether or not with the, like the quarry and the rivers and the train tracks, famous, mm. whether the geography of Oregon lent itself better Maybe. to the setting than Maine. So we're introduced to the lads. They're uh, they're up in the treehouse. We've got Gordy, Will Wheaton. Uh, they're playing cards. You sit with Chris, River Phoenix, and Teddy, played by Corey Feldman. Chris comes from a family renowned for dishonesty, abusive nature. He's got a bad rap. Um, he's, he's tough but kind, like Nougat. Um, Teddy, a little bit eccentric. He's mostly recognisable by uh, like the mangled remains of his right ear, which is mentally unwell father held down onto a hot stove top. A bit like the hounds there, really. Um, Teddy's dad is now in a mental institution, but Teddy seems to revere him, um, especially talking about the beaches of Normandy, his serving in World War II, and that comes up again later on in quite a traumatic way. Mm. And then all of a sudden, mm. here, here comes Jerry O'Connell, little, Ver, ter, little, little Vern Tessio, um, the butt of many jokes. I love Vern. Then fairly, then fairly, he is adorable, and he's like, "Let me in, let me in, I've got important news." And they were like, what, what on earth are you talking about? And he goes, do you guys want to see a dead body? Well, actually, he goes, let me catch my breath. Let me catch my breath. I ran all the way home. They all oh, start yeah. singing. Too I love I that, that. That is That is really good. But it is that kind of like really, you, you said idyllic. And it is. It's how you imagine life in the, like, the late 50s yeah. or 60s to be for 12-year-old kids. Like It's just really cute. Right, so you're in a treehouse hanging out with your mates. Yeah. Pretending to be all like big man matching. Playing, playing cards. cards. Yeah, all of that. And your other mate comes in and goes, do you want to see a dead body? What is your response, Luce? Me? As me? Mm. Um, where is the dead body? How far is it going to take me? How I long think... is it going to take me to go and see this? I'd have asked that question. What status is the dead body in? Yeah. I don't want to get nightmares! Which I think is another Vern line. Basically, Lucy's going to quote the whole movie through here, so I don't have I've to. I've seen see. it so many times. Um, so, I think I would just immediately go, yeah, definitely. Because you would, I'm yes. weird like that. Um, but obviously teenage boys or prepubescent boys mm. love this stuff, right? So he gets starts explaining. So he's looking for his uh, his penny jar under the porch. So Classic Vern. I fucking love this. So the story behind this is that Vern has a, a jar full of pennies that he buried under the porch for safekeeping. And um, he, he did a map so he knew where it was. And then his mum threw it away. <laughs> And he's been like trying to dig under the porch for what well, in in the movie nine months in the in the book for four years, yeah. and he still can't <laughs> find this jar of pennies. 
Like, it's quite a lot of money in there. And like, he's still trying. He's still going. You give him credit for that. God loves a trier. Anyway, so he's under the porch digging again and he hears his brother Billy and Billy's friend Charlie talking about how they found the body of Ray Brower, uh, a kid who'd recently gone missing. So kids are all like, oh my God, they've been following the story. Ray's about the same age. He was last seen picking blueberries in the woods outside of town. So just... So innocent. Yeah. What a lovely, like, you know, skippity, nice country thing. On his own, picking blueberries. Anyway, so Billy says, kid must have been hit by a train, doesn't want to report the discovery to the police because he got there in a stolen car, which I think is a ridiculous reason. Are they really going to say, how did you get there? I mean, if he doesn't drive... Well, if four mm, 12-year-old boys can get there on foot... Yeah, it's true. So could Billy and his mates. And I guess they think he's been hit by a train, but it could have been something worse. It could. And then... If they say, oh, we found him, they'll say, well, actually, he was murdered. So where were you on the night of? Do you know Mm, what I mean? Very good point. Very good point. Got to think these things through. But the kids decide they're going to go and find the body and uh, then hold themselves up as local heroes for recovering poor little Ray's Ray's remains. So they lie to their parents, they're sleeping over each other's houses and um, meet the next morning on the train tracks leading out of town to Mm. go find the body of Ray. In the book, this is a bit more um, elaborate because they set up like tents in the gardens with lights in them, yeah. pretending that they're there, which is quite smart for little kids. Probably Got not the bit. first time that they've done this. Probably not, little shitbags. Duped their parents. Um, so then we get a little bit of a, a backstory, a bit of a flashback to uh, Gordy's brother, Denny, mm. played by John Cusack. I know, young John Cusack. Oh, isn't he pretty? Yes. And sweet. There's a good likeness between him and young Will Wheaton. Yeah, that actually, that's true. Long face, big doe eyes. All little cuties. Yeah. Oh, bless him. Um, so, Denny, very popular athlete. He died in a car accident. I'm pretty sure in the... Um, it's a car accident in the book, it's but it's... in the army. It's like a military Yeah, jeep isn't he changing a wheel and he gets hit by a military jeep out of control? Something, yeah. Pretty tragic. Yeah. Um, but so, it puts him as being a bit older, I think. Mm. I think he's like, like 18, 19 or something like that. But he seems to be still at school when he died from just what you kind of get from the film. But I think maybe he's slightly older than that in the book. I don't know. Just from being... Yeah, no, I get what you mean. I don't know, actually. If he's not in the army, who knows? I don't think it's ever even addressed. No. Well, this is where we finally realise that uh, Gordy's parents don't really seem to like him very much. So Gordy's mother's gone into deep depression she's lost her son fair play mm. love you know you're having a rough time mm. um and gordy's dad basically just says why aren't you denny why can't you play sports why are your friends all shit um i don't care that you want to be a writer your mate chris is a douche he's a bit a thief and two thebes and i love that um, gordy goes he's not a thief he's like yeah the other two are thieves yeah. but he's not a thief <laughs> he's not a thief Come on, leave the Phoebes alone. <laughs> um, poor little bastards. I mean, it's not wrong. It's, it, you know, from the outside of it until you get to know them, you, you're not far off. Yeah, you know, it's true. We do come back to that. But I think this is the first moment where you really realise that although Gordy seems probably the most normal, mm. in inverted commas, out of the group, he really isn't. You know, he's a, a tortured, artistic soul. And it also shows that you don't, your parents don't need to be physically or verbally abusive towards you for you to have a lasting impact from that kind of neglect which you can understand but you know their son is dead they still have a son so it's quite very very tragic to see how they treat um gordy and how that transposes into his relationship with his friends and later on in the yep. film his plans for the future yep it has huge impacts mm. uh, and i like the way that they've laid this out early on and in the book you get a bit more of that um, but they don't beautifully in the film. Like, and as we said before, this is a, a really faithful adaptation. And mm. I think the the actors they chose for all of these characters nailed the personalities. I guess because the book, it's quite a, although it has a lot of depth and a lot of layers, it's a straightforward story narrative wise. So yeah. there's not much. There's some Stephen King books where you think, how oh, are they ever going to film that? Yeah. And they're basically unfilmable. Whereas this, much like Shawshank, yeah, a bit more straightforward in a narrative sense, so easier to um, translate to the big screen. And a lot of the things that we've reviewed lately, the Stephen King adaptations, a lot of the problems have been that because the stories are so convoluted, putting them on screen is mm. such a bloody challenge. Yeah. This really starts to cement the fact that short stories are the way to go if you want to adapt Stephen King. Yes. Or big hard hitters like The Shining, Carrie. But even, I guess, like, Christine. as you've you covered The Shining, we it's a great film, but it's not really an adaptation of the book oh, no. in, the, in that way. Side note. 
sidebar uh dr sleep coming out super excited i love that book it was brilliant wasn't mm. it um and oh, i want to say it's you and mcgregor playing i don't actually know much I about the adaptation we should go and see it we should there you go lady date Agreed. sorted uh so after this little fiasco gordy meets chris and uh they go and chris decides you can take him down a back alley to show him that he's nicked a gun from his dad to take on the trip to find the body idyllic childhood it's madness <laughs> He doesn't think it's aimed, so Gordy lightly takes aim at a garbage can, pulls the trigger, boom. Um, it's loaded, it fires, the two of them go running for the street, and uh, all of a sudden we get our first sight of Ace Merrill and Chris's older brother, Eyeball. So Ace steals Gordy's cap, pretty shit. Mean. Really His brother mean. gave him that. I know. I was about to say that, it's really harsh, isn't it? But then after like threatening them with a lit, lit cigarette, they, uh, they leave him alone boys go away so then the two lads meet up with teddy and Vern at the train tracks and then they're like oh we've not planned for this no one's probably food fucking boys men idiots so they pull all their money and agree they'll get something on the way now my first thought here is guys you're not going past anything you're walking down train tracks in the middle of nowhere yeah. logic lads if you're going to go looking for a dead body prepare no 7-elevens in those days definitely on not every corner definitely not so <laughs> then train comes right as it does on tracks they all get off except for teddy Mental little Teddy, uh, because he thinks it'll be really fun to uh, pretend to shoot at the train and like play chicken, basically. Train dodging. You don't play chicken with trains. But this is very, very, very similar to the book. And you feel that fear when you read it, like, of how mad he is. Yeah, it's that energy. And I think that um, Corey Feldman mm. plays that unhinged energy without going over the top. But there is something slightly off I think unhinged is the way and actually Corey that Corey Feldman's talent is characters like that I think yeah that's slightly off kilter yeah yeah definitely a little bit nutty um and this is where you know Without again over egging it yeah never too much just right mm. well mostly um and this is again where we get a reference to uh, just like his dad in Normandy mm. so we know that this is a big thing for him uh, luckily, Chris pulls him off before he can um, basically be killed. Chris, Chris pulls him off. Yeah, I know I heard that. I was trying to ignore it. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, uh, before he gets killed by the fuck off massive train. Uh, yeah, I mean, boys will be boys, right? But guys, seriously, this is this is taking it a bit extreme. Mm. So they they carry on. No one's dead. Great. This is always good news. They end up at the local junkyard. The, I love this in the book. Yeah. Because you get this amazing description of the guy that uh, owns the junkyard who is a, what's his name, Milo? Milo Pressman. Yeah, Milo Pressman, who's supposed to be pretty uh, pretty miserable. He's got a ferocious dog called Chopper. And they tell all these stories, um, a little bit in, in the film, but a lot in the book, about how um, he's trained Chopper to attack people and like... Certain body parts. Yeah. Balls. Sick balls. Sick balls. Uh, but they get there, it's empty, so they hang out for a little bit while Gordy goes to get food at the store they draw lots don't they they do draw lots um well i think no they draw lots in the book in this i think he loses a running race oh no isn't it um coins keep they keep flipping the coin oh yeah because there's um if you all flip a certain thing it's bad luck yeah yeah, yeah the what do they call it i can't remember what they call I can't it remember either well someone find out and tell us uh <laughs> so one of the things that we miss here in the shop so he goes to the store, he gets all of his bits and pieces, and he's talking to the guy behind the, the guy's store. Guy's a bit intrusive, isn't he? Dick, your brother died, didn't he? Well, yeah. Yeah, Are you I mean, good at sports? No. What What do you do then? Um, can I just buy my hamburger yeah. and leave, please? Let me have my hamburgers and a couple of Cokes. Like, leave off. Seriously. Um, in the in the book, doesn't he try and shortchange him by, oh, like, leaning on the scale to make it more expensive? And Gordy's like, nah, I'm not having that. I can't remember. To I'm pretty sure he does. Anyway, so he gets back just in time to see that Milo Pressman has appeared. He's yelling for Chopper. So everyone is absolutely <laughs> shitting themselves. The guys are running for the fence. All the other boys have climbed over. Gordo's like, Gordo. They call him Gordo at times. I'm going to call him Gordo. Gordy Gordo. Uh, all he thinks is, uh, shit, dogs are going to come for me. Chopper, massive. He's going to he's gonna absolutely go for me. And Milo shouts, sick him, boy. And what he thinks that he says is, sick bars. Uh, so he's frantically running he makes it over the top turns around and this fucking adorable oh he's so nice he's so cute and he like rubs against the fence he's all like, and he's love, like me, he, love me love yeah. me I just wanted to play he's so cute hilarious uh, just absolutely hilarious but things go wrong yeah well they shouldn't have been mean to Chopper well they shouldn't I blame Teddy they were teasing him um, so <laughs> Milo comes over to the fence he's like oi fuck you guys and Milo 
says to uh, says to Teddy, your dad's a loony. Mm. Locked up in the loony bin. I know bin. you. I know you. Your dad's a loony. Um, Teddy loony, loony, loses loony. his shit. Mm. Oh, this broke my heart. It's quite... Even in the book, it's really sad. But watching, watching him do it in, on screen was just devastating. Like, no matter what his father had done to him, mm. it wasn't his fault. He was unwell. And he idolises this man. Yeah. And Milo's just come along and been like, your dad's a nutter. Teddy goes mental. Yeah. Like, homicidal. Has to be mm. pulled off by the guys. Led away. Really, really not happy at this point. The shadow of the war seems to hang heavily over him, where well, it's not mentioned really by any of the other characters in that respect. Well, I suppose, so we're what, late 50s? 59, I believe this yeah. is set. So we're only 15, 14, 14 years, years after the, the end, war. Yeah. The Normandy was right at the end, so it's, you know, it weighs very heavily on Teddy's life, but mm. <clears throat> in general it must weigh pretty heavily on, on society. You know, mm. it's not that long ago. Probably not for the how, adults. Still how we feel about... 9/11. Iraq and Afghanistan, yeah. 9-11, all the stuff like that. You know, it's still fresh in our minds. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is where you really see how talented these boys are. Mm. Really talented, like heartbreakingly good. So they lead him away. Milo's gone. Adorable little chopper has hmm. gone so I don't know, play with a squeaky toy or something. And uh, they come to the bridge. This is a big... Oh my God. Oh. I, because I knew what was going to happen doesn't help <laughs> it doesn't make it any better i th- think it made it worse it's... because i was sitting on tenterhooks like just waiting for it to all go I'm wrong i'm sure i mean Spoiler i've never warning. been in that obviously in that situation but if you've ever been on one of those rickety bridges where <laughs> there's the gaps in between that's yeah. what makes me feel sick when it's like you can't just run you no, can't just run you can't no you can't one is sprint. that coordinated and when when Vern is going on his hands and knees, I'm like, oh. I feel that. That's what I would be doing. And he's so scared that he doesn't want to move. See, they debate Blah. about this bridge. Are they going to go over it, which is the quicker way to take 10 minutes? Or are they going to go around, which take them like two hours? I'd go around, mate, to be honest. I'd probably go over it. I don't think I would. I don't think I've ever been that brave. And I'm a shit runner. And after I see what happens here, no way. I would just have assumed that it would have been fine because it's quite a short period. It's a, quite a short distance. Yeah, oh. if, if it had... It's, again, it's just those slats and... You're having to think of your balance. You're not going to be able to go that fast. It's just making me feel your sick foot, thinking about you, it. You could fall off the side really easily. Your foot could go through. It is... <sighs> that The palpable sense of fear that they capture, I, I've never forgotten it. And actually, the way that they film this, close up, far out, from behind, mm. from the front, it really adds to that, doesn't it? It's, it's really well shot. So, of course, they decide to go over the bridge. Yep. And as you said, Fern, Fern's crawling because he's terrified. Loses comb. Just hmm. falls down. Alas, the comb. Which uh, he brought it along with him in case. Even that bit, I'm like, camera crews. He's dropped something. Like it's just because well, they're all thought, like looking yeah. down. Gosh. You can't see me, but I'm looking down <laughs> um, at how like huge that drop is. It's like a hundred odd feet dead. I mean, dead before you even hit the water or the rocks, and everything seems fine. Gordy's pretty nervous at this point. Mm. He turns around, nothing there, and then he bends down to feel the rails. He can feel a light vibration. Turns around, plumes of smoke. It's a fuck-off massive train. So, of course, he does the sensible thing and yells, Train! Oh, gosh. Tries to get Vern to his feet. Vern's, like, freaking out. Um, Chris and Teddy are already running. Mm. He's trying to get Vern along. He's right behind him. And at one point, right near the end, the train is literally on on top of them. And they just throw themselves over the side. The other guys are completely terrified. In fact, River Phoenix's face is is Chris is like the scariest thing there. It's heartbreaking because he thinks his mate's just, his best mate's just going to be dead. In the water, yeah. Oh, um, that was just unbelievable. I wonder if that was a real train. Because can you imagine filming that? I mean, how did they film it just going over that bridge anyway? That's what's scary more than the train. It's yeah, because this is drop. 1986. That'll be a real bridge. There's no CGI in this. Oh, it's horrible. Motherfucker, that made me feel sick. It's scary. Um, but don't worry. Uh, they they end up fine. They've just gone down a little little wall. And as Chris says, at least they know when the next train is. Ha <laughs> ha mm. Not funny. Not the time, Chris. Not the time, mister. So they get further into the forest and... Uh, Teddy and Vern tracking on ahead. Chris and Gordy having a nice little chat. Gordy's pretty sad. So Gordy's a writer. Mm. You, I, the one big difference that you get, I think, in the book is that in the middle of it, there is this insert of um, like parts of his short stories. His short stories, Stud, Stud City, Stud City. That's it. Which is really it's quite explicit. It is quite explicit. It's a lot of sexual, um, sexual scenes in there. Mm. Graphic depictions. But I think 
you feel more of it because in this we only get one story but I think this is where you really realize what a relationship Chris and Gordy have because so Gordy's talking about like his dad thinks being a writer is stupid he should do sports like Denny come on love your remaining child please and and Chris says and he, and he seems just frustrated and angry and sad where he's like I wish I was your father instead because so Gordy could... says that he's going to take shop with them and he's like why would you take shop with us don't we're, let we're your friends strike you down yeah we are losers and isn't it he has a, like a dream doesn't he Gordy in the book that his friends have drowned and then they come back to life yeah, like and Vernon, they're pulling um, him Teddy and yeah, it's really horrible. That's the thing. He's telling him what to do. And he's like, thanks, Dad. And he's like, yeah, I wish the hell I was your father. It's, um, it's so emotional. Oh, but, it, but it is, it's that beautiful friendship. And, you know, he says this at the end, and this is the final kind of line um, at the end of the film, and I think in the book as well, where he says, you never have friends like those that you had when you were 12 years old. Because it's unconditional and nothing mm. has got in the way and nothing, nothing can stop you yeah. at that point. You feel in- invincible. The world is ahead of you. And oh, they're... In fact, can you just quote the whole movie, Luce? Because you're doing yeah. very well at this. I've um, honestly seen it so many times. I I can't believe I've not watched it more recently than I than this. Um, but, you know, beautiful, really nice. The and sadness of it Gordy. is that Chris recognises so much potential mm. in Gordy but can see none in himself. Which is so sad. And he believes that his card is marked and he's never going to get out of this town and that, you know, the family that he's been born into. The reputation. Yeah. It's tragic, but he's not—he's not a fatalist in that he can see that Gordy could do so much more, and he sees his own role in holding him back. And he, would he can't rather, see anything good in himself. He would rather sacrifice their friendship for the good of Gordy mm. than keep him around for himself, which I think is incredibly wise beyond his years. Mm. And for, I think I imagine quite hard for a kid of that age to play something quite so profound. Yeah, he has a lot of depth. Let's um, face it, to his performance. Ah, right. I got that emotional bit out of the way. Let's move on. Uh, so they set up camp for the night and uh, they get, Gordy gets to tell them a story. So in the book, you get a bit more background on this, but um, they love listening to his stories. Mm. And is it is it Teddy that really loves his stories about like the Western cowboys? Yes, and stuff? he always wants it to end up with some kind of shooting spree and revenge And then do taken. they go on cowboy horses yeah. and shoot people? Yeah, no, that's not how this works. So he tells this amazing story about Lardass Hogan and the blueberry eating contest. And it is, but it, it, it again, it, it, what it's doing is highlighting how profoundly ahead of his years both mm. him and Chris are. Not the Phoebes. Sorry, Teddy and Fern, but you know I'm right. <laughs> but he could write a story like this, and the guy's like, but where does it end? How does it end? It's like, well, that's just how it ends. Yeah. Do you not understand the point of this? Uh, <laughs> oh my God, the puking. And I didn't think that they were going to do this when they actually, um, when I first saw this film, and then all of a sudden you get this like, projectile blueberry vomiting it is disgusting it's such a random and off-kilter story but the reaction to it i I love Vern being like did you have to pay to pay to get in like no Vern, they just let him in like why is is that your question from this like it's the way his his little mind works it's poor little moments like that are just what make this film such a classic i think and also i think at one point um i think just after this maybe just before this in the film the voiceover talks about you know uh, talking the whole way through the night about the things that really matter when you're 12. Mm. About like, and actually, very good point. So, Daffy's a duck, Mickey's a mouse. What the hell is Goofy? What is Goofy? Is he a dog? I don't think he is. A Wears dog. a hat and drives a car. He can't be a dog. So, you know, all these things are important. And that is so true. And I think no matter what age you are, you that can resonate with you because we've all been a kid mm. where those were the things that were the most important. Yeah. And it's just before, I mean, they do. T- Speak about um, the Mickey Mouse Club or was it the Mouseketeers or whatever and Annette's tits getting bigger. But other than that, they're not really on, they're on the cusp of quote unquote manhood. So they don't yeah. have, they're not sexualized really. No. Although what I will say, they're not sexualized. Watching it now um, in this era as an adult, did you ever, did you find any sort of, they are kids, but like Gordy and Chris, their relationship. Do you think there was anything a bit more to their relationship in that, like, no. not sexually, but I think, I the think way, emotionally, the way it's done, I think this film wouldn't be made like this now because people would be like, oh, they're definitely meant, they're definitely like have feelings for each other. Do you think that that's just because we want to see that as an audience? I don't think I do want to see it, but I just think 
They would never have these tender moments in a film now if there wasn't supposed to be an undercurrent of... Interesting. Maybe stronger feelings between the two. See, I always just looked at them and their their intensity of emotion for each other, even though it kind of simmers below the surface, as being more fraternal. But... I think I, it I is, see what you mean. Interesting. It's between, they are so much closer in the way they peel off from the others. And, you know, Chris puts a very protective arm around Gordy. But mm. and they have chemistry. And it's not, again, it is not sexual. But it, there's a, a quality to it that makes it seem more than friends. Which I watch it and I don't think, oh, oh, I feel like they're meant to be gay. But I do think if this exact film was made now, even with the same actors, they wouldn't put that they wouldn't have that kind of relationship unless mm. that was intended. I that's what I think anyway. Watching that's an it again. Perspective. I will have to rewatch it again mm. to see what I think, Lucy. Um we're not going to talk in detail about blueberry vomit. No, it's it's a funny story. I'll be honest, it's funny. It serves a purpose. Now let's move on. Mm. So, they sleep in shifts. Uh Chris is Chris is on shift, I think. So Gordy goes to have a chat with him and this is where we go back to talking about like how Chris does not see his own potential. Yeah. So Chris is telling the story about how well, it basically saying his his family and his association with them makes him unable to ever escape the mm. expectations of him to be a fuck up, essentially. He wants to leave, he wants to start fresh, he wants to make something of himself, but he doesn't believe that he actually can. It's like the mark of Cain, in a it's way. It's just sad. Because that kid has, you know, you talk about children are, are innocent because they have had no time to commit sin. Mm. Not that I'm, you know, particularly religious or at all, um, but... You know, that, that is the born without sin. It's only when you grow and you act that you become a sinner. Not You are, you do not hold the sins of your parents. Mm. And unfortunately, this is exactly what happens to Chris. Well, and Cain, as I said. And Cain, yeah. Going back to a proper Old Testament. Yep. Yep. Um, so we've kind of touched on this before, but there's a there's a, a story that he tells about having taken, being accused of taking the milk money at school. Because um, Gordy's dad mentions that, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. He's, like, he's a thief. He took the milk money at church. So at he finally talks about it, and he basically says, "I did take it, but then I felt really bad about it, so I gave it to one of the teachers." And um, then, lo and behold, she turned up the next week with a new skirt, and the money never came back. So basically, he's just been fucked over mm. because he can never escape his family's reputation. No one would believe him over a teacher, and that's just tragic. It's a like, horrible lesson kid. to learn at twelve. It's a brutal, brutal mm. lesson to learn at 12. But again, this is kind of where um, you see the, the flip side of Gordy telling him he's worth something. Mm. You know, why wouldn't you say anything? I didn't believe you did it or, you know, yeah. all of those things. And they really are incredibly close. Oh, I feel all emotional. Yeah. There's so many layers of emotion to this film, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Oh, we will. Um, so now we get a bit of lightheartedness. Ace and the gang are hanging out, smoking, Playing mailbox baseball. Such pricks. Dickheads. Um, and finally we find out, or Ace finds out, that the the lads have know where the body is. Mm. So obviously he wants to know where it is. Gives them no option whatsoever uh, to try and get out of it. They're all going to go and find the body. Of course they are. How could you say no to Kiefer? He has a little flick knife. He does. Little flick knife. That's scary why. face. Um, so while this is all happening, lads start to take a little bit of a shortcut and they end up in a swamp. Mm. Uh, they all end up falling in and lo and behold, what's under the surface? Millions of leeches. What? Uh, they end up stripping down to try and get them off them. And uh, very, very similarly to the book, there is a leech uh, on Gordy's nether regions. Mm. That was when he pulled that out of his pants, Ooh. that was disgusting. Really I wonder what it's like being a man watching that. Oh, I mean, it made my skin mm. crawl. I can't imagine how Stomach that would make turning. you feel if you had a penis. <laughs> me feel, me and my balls. <laughs> you and your balls. So the only difference here, and I think it is probably worth, because I think it has a different impact. In in the book, it's incredibly hot. It's a really hot summer. And they come across um, like a reservoir or a pond or something. Yeah. And they all strip off to go and have a swim to like, get refreshed and cool down yeah it's hot throughout isn't it in the book yeah and it's, it's one of the it's a really really hot summer and it breaks into a storm eventually in the book so the i suppose the contrast of them having this really lovely relaxing fun time and kind of letting go and not thinking about going to find the body and then being like oh my fuck i'm covered in leeches i think is is worse in the book mm. because it's so different but and it explodes doesn't it on his balls i believe disgusting. in the book anyway 
Uh, but Gordy faints because... You would. Massive leech on your pecker. And blood everywhere. Oh, gross. Um, but eventually he comes round and they get back to the tracks. And then, lo and behold, they find the body. Mm. Do you I not- don't know why I sounded excited then. That's not exciting. But also, it's not even that far... Like, it's not hidden. How has no one found him? Well, I don't think a lot of people go wandering down No, I know, the but tracks. surely they're looking for him. Well, yeah, good point. I think it's quite far away from where he was, though. Maybe, but or there's they made a train no track. It's not like it's a completely remote no, area. that is true. And he's a little bit away from the train track. Um, this is... I don't know what they were all expecting to feel, but what they clearly feel when they find Ray's body is it's devastating mm. you know he's been knocked clean out of his shoes he's lying half in and out of the bushes he's clearly been hit by the train yeah um, which is which is awful and they talk about like building a stretch for him to take him back and then Gordy breaks down um, he's he's all over the place so yeah the, the, you know the the reality of death and I suppose so soon after losing his brother and then yeah and then he kind of says I know my dad hates me and that he wants Denny to be here, not yeah. me. And it's just... Why did he have to die? Oh, oh little Will It Wheaton. is so sad. It, but it is so sad because not only was Denny the only one that really loved Gordy... And believed in him. And and pushed him and motivated him and loved his, his And brought attention to him when his dad was just showering with praise and his mum. He was like, yeah, Gordy wrote a book. Well, Gordy wrote a story. It was really good, like... Yeah, a selfless brother that really cared for him. And so obviously not he only has he lost that, um, now he's lost his parents, any kind of semblance of love they ever mm. had for him because they want Denny here and not him. I, you can only imagine how that would feel. And I suppose the shock of seeing this poor dead kid must have just, it just kicks you into it. Brought it home. So sad. Poor little monkey. I feel so sorry for him. Brilliant performance from yeah. Will Wheaton. Who knew Will Wheaton was such a spectacular actor? Me, because that's the first film I ever saw him in. I know, but I'd forgotten he was in this. What else is he in other than The Big Bang Theory? And, and Star Trek. Star, Star Trek series. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else. I, but now knowing that this is what he looked like as a kid, maybe he's been in loads of stuff I didn't know. I don't... We'll have to look it up. We will look it up. Um, so this is pretty bloody tragic. We're, uh, we're all having a bit of an emotional moment and then Ace and the lads turn up. So you go fuck off, mate. Horrible, horrible. Um, they're like, you need to go. We're taking the body. We're taking the credit. All this and that and the other. So Chris stands up and just say something about go home and fuck your mother. Yeah, go home no, and fuck I your think, mother some more. Yeah, when you go home, fuck your mother some more. Yeah. What? Um, so Ace, being the the sensible teenage man that he is, pulls a knife on a twelve year old kid. The best part of this is that Chris's brother is going to watch him his friend murder his uh, little brother and do fuck all about it bastards what chance did Chris have of a family like that I fucking hate his brother he's no just chance. like mm, he's like oh Ace don't maybe don't he doesn't give a shit he's fucking horrible oh he's weak and pathetic because all he, all he does is what Ace tells him yeah you know we talked about Ace Merrill when we were um, doing the Castle Rock coverage and a couple mm. of other things and Kiefer Sutherland really portrays him the way that you yeah, imagine him to be yeah he's got that douchey just total douche mm. But it's all right. Gordy fires the gun in the air. So we've all forgotten about this gun from earlier. Gordy's like, nope, I'm going to pull a gun on you guys. Mm. Which, if anything, is a little bit mad. Uh, In the book, it's Chris that pulls the gun. And um, it's Jackie, Jackie Mudgett, that pulls the knife. Who? Exactly. No one even knows. Um, But it's Chris that pulls the gun rather than Gordy. So it's a slightly different story. Uh, But I don't think it really has an impact. Works better with Gordy, I think. He's finally found his courage to stand up to... The oppressors. Especially after his little breakdown. Yeah. Quite serious, sad breakdown. Very bad. I don't want to belittle it. So, Gordy threatens Ace, being like, all too easy to kill you. Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. He's <laughs> one of the best lines I know, I in like, this whole movie. Um, and then Gordy decides that, right, fuck this, no one is going to, no one's going to get credit for this. Someone will just make an anonymous yeah. call and tell them where the body is. Because I think they've realised how fucked up this whole journey really is at the yeah. end of it because you look the idea of going to see a dead body is like oh my god that's like that's awesome it's really cool we can tell a story to everyone actually the reality of a dead 12 year old boy is just devastating it shouldn't be a party as Gordy says should not be a party and it's true um, we we miss a little bit in in the film that um, after this like a week or so later um, or Ace and the gang we're sitting cool in the gang <laughs> not so <laughs> funny um, they find the kids and they beat the shit out of them. I mean, I think 
for me, watching the film, I'm like, that definitely happens. You might not see it, but there's no, no way that they just go, it's this ain't over, and then leave it. Yeah. But, sad the film is almost over. Yeah. Which is really sad. So they come back to town, um, and you've got older Gordy narrating over this. Can I just say, what did you think of the, Richard Dreyfus as a choice for older Gordy? Because he looks nothing like Will Wheaton. As in... Well, firstly, nothing like Will Wheaton. Secondly... Really weird choice. Mm, curly hair. Like, Will Wheaton's hair is really straight. It's just a weird, like, doesn't sound like there's just no There's no comparison. Connection. No. I wonder if it's because he was quite popular at the time. I think he was friends with um, Robert Zemeckis, who's the director. No, not Robert Zemeckis. Who is it? don't know. I can't remember. Not Rob, Rob Reiner? I think they were friends. I'm pretty sure Maybe. the director is Rob Reiner. Because I was going to say, how close is it to, um, to Jaws? But that was like 10 years before. It was yeah. the 70s, wasn't it? Yeah. So he can't even have been that pop... I don't know. But he does have a good voice for narration. I thought. Uh, it's a bit of a, like a reedy voice, I think. I quite like it. It's fine, but I don't I don't see any of... I don't see Gordy that we know, Will Wheaton, growing up into him. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, I see your point. Not very similar. And no. actually having just Weird looked casting. at a picture of him, Weird really casting odd casting. Me. I didn't pay much attention to older Gordy. No, I saw he's, just not, he's hardly in it. It's no. just watching it again. I was like, oh, don't, no, no likeness whatsoever. But hmm. you know, I'm gonna go back and have a look now. Mm. So they come back, and Richard Dreyfus is narrating, boo. and uh, boo, Richard. We, we like you really. Yeah. Um, just not in this. Uh, <laughs> and they talk about how the town seems so much smaller after their journey, which it is such a great way of saying they were so much bigger. Mm. You know, they've they've grown up, or they've matured, or they've, they've gone. Come of age. They have come of age. Uh, so they all split up and, and go home. Vern and Teddy go off and then Chris and Chris and Gordy have this like goodbye scene in the street, which is just really sad. Like the two of them are just too cute. Anyway, so then we find out that in the film, Vern and Teddy uh, grew distant over the next few years. Vern got married, had four kids. He's a forklift driver. Teddy tried to join the army, but it was rejected because of his eyes and his ear injury. You know, fair enough. Yeah. Went to jail for a bit, did some odd jobs around Castle Rock. Checks out. Uh, but here is the pièce de résistance. We are going to ruin it in a bit. But Chris managed to stick it out. Uh, went to all the college classes with Gordy. Yeah. Worked really hard. Became a lawyer. Yay! So and then good. that's where the film ends, and it's a really happy ending. Yay! Bye. Thanks. Five blueberries. Uh, no, that's not where it ends. Uh, he is the guy that was stabbed and killed in a fast food restaurant that was on the newspaper at the beginning of the film. Fucking tragic. It is. I've got. I mean, I've got goosebumps. Yeah. The the final shot of. Um... Chris walking away as it fades away to nothing, knowing what happens to Chris, knowing what happens to River Phoenix. It, it's a tragic. It is unbearable. Almost. It is a really tragic film. Um, it, the layers of of sadness, like your, your own nostalgia for your own childhood, the story itself, and the childhoods that these children have had to go through in the film. The character of Chris dying when he had so much to give and he'd overcome so much, and River Phoenix, who was the potential that he had you can see in this film alone and when he's a bit older you can see him in other films it's just and he <sighs> such such an unbelievably tragic loss river phoenix because he had so much talent it's wrenching to watch this film knowing what could have been and because at the time you did watch it and it's heart-wrenching enough mm. but now in in hindsight knowing you know what has happened to River Phoenix mostly, but even you know, like Corey Feldman did not have a fun time for a while. No, I mean, and I don't think I don't think he ever really recovered from his his child fame. And there's obviously no. he's made numerous accusations about paedophile rings in Hollywood. Mm. So he hasn't had it very easy either. Definitely um, not. God. Weirdly, Jerry O'Connell seems to be the most well high profile, and I mean, he got yeah. buff. So he did. He did get proper buff. Um, what's really sad though is that in the book I mean this is all terrible um, in the book Gordy's the only one still alive yeah, all of them are dead and he seems oh, excessive it's really sad and they talk about like Gordy in the book talks about you know if, if we had made different choices if we hadn't taken that route if we hadn't taken this journey if you know we'd gone back at this point he feels responsible for how he they does. turned out he holds the weight of the the fate the weight of the fate of his friends because he's lost them all. Mm. And it that that for me just it broke my heart when I, I cried when I read that. Some of the writing in this is beautiful. Yeah. When you, they talk about um 
the hardest things to tell are the things the closest to you because you can't mm. make a stranger care about something and actually that's for, important to you. For people who uh, don't necessarily enjoy Stephen King's writing, whether that's because it's horror or because he, he's quite a uh, laborious storyteller sometimes. Mm. Uh, he's wordy, verbose. His short stories are so powerful and so different to what you expect. I would highly recommend yeah, reading them. I Absolutely. think so. This one in particular, because I do yeah. think the writing um, is some of his best. It definitely is. I, I think this is one of the best. In fact, if I could go back and change my st- my score, I might give this a five out of five for the novel, I'm actually. I'm going to allow you to do that. Thanks, mate. I was just looking to see what else Jerry O'Connell has uh, been Kangaroo in. Jack. Which is probably oh. the pinnacle of his career. Definitely, yeah. I imagine. Don't never mind Stand By Me. Or Jerry Maguire, which I also love. Yeah. Can I just give a little shout out, which because we haven't mentioned it? Um, the soundtrack to this film oh. is absolutely fabulous. It, uh, what have we got on there? We've got Stand By We've Me, got Stand obviously. By Me. We've got um, Buddy Holly. Every day it's a getting closer, going there. And they do, my boy lollipop. It's a classic 50s mm-hmm. soundtrack, isn't it? It's yeah. just too good. It's fab. And that, I think, adds to the atmosphere that you feel from it, because you don't really get that in the... I suppose you don't get that at all in the book, do you? Because you don't really talk about music. No. But this really sets the scene really beautifully. The nostalgia of it. And then when the uh, opening refrains of Stand By Me comes on at the end, again... Heart wrenching. Chills, man. Yes. Chills. Why is he's watching his own kids play? Oh, and that is where we end. He's he's finishing up writing on I mean a computer that looks like it belongs I in laughed. like weird science. Yeah. <laughs> what was going on there? Um and he finishes it with that line, you know, you, you never have friends mm. like the friends you had when you were twelve after he's seen his son his, Jesus, uh, didn't his anybody? Son's mate. Uh, Just, yeah. But it's a perfect way to end it. Um Oh, fucking Perfect hell. film, really. I think it's I, honestly one of my favourite films. It's uh, yeah, it stayed with me. I've always, I always loved it. It, I was nostalgic about it even when I was first watching it because of the the depiction of this mm. like seemingly idyllic um, childhood in mm. America. And it's also the the kind of the beauty of childhood innocence, isn't it? That mm. you think that going on a, a big journey to find a dead body is the pinnacle of like the most exciting thing you could do, and then all of a sudden life gets real. Yeah, and the realisation that, that they're having, well, Gordy and Chris in particular, about what, what are they going to go do for school? Where are they going to go? Big like, life questions. Their families, how they're affecting them, how they're affecting their life chances. It's not just, let's talk about if Superman could beat up Mighty Mouse. It's, where are we going? That's not even a fight because Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Yeah. See, I know my lines too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this has got to be, I think this might actually, for me, be my favourite Stephen King adaptation. Better than Shawshank? Yeah, in terms of adaptation from yes, it's a it's a very good adaptation. But they could have made they could still have made it shit. As in, if you if you get kids that aren't good actors, I mean, we need to shout back to the actors because we've obviously mentioned how good they are. But their the chemistry between them all and their like the sense of them being a tight knit gang, it's brilliant. And I can't think of many other films that have that with child actors well I was going to say the only thing that we've seen recently where you've got that much talent Stranger Things yeah and, and it, it deliberately unreal. apes that kind of the 80s vibe obviously yeah um, but again that's nostalgic for us isn't mm, it to an extent exactly you know you look back at 30 40 years ago to the 80s you feel nostalgia for that kind of nerdy weird yeah rock and roll games machines and arcades. it's the films that you loved growing up or TV yeah. shows and everything yeah, same so as they, the music in this does for you. But yeah, you are right, Lucy. Absolute massive shout out to these kids, you know, at, at the time. River Phoenix, Will Wheaton, Jerry O'Connell, Corey and Feldman. Corey Feldman. Yeah, here's to you guys. Here's R- to you. R.I.P. River. R.I.P. River. So that's it. It's over. Stand by me, get off. Bloody rave review yep. from uh, what I like to call the two biggest king bookworms in Castle Rock Critical because no one else reads anything. Yeah, no one else can read, so... Uh, but it has made a really nice change. Slightly emotional, I'll be honest. Um, yes. Uh, but it's a nice change to cover something that is so expertly adapted to the screen with an incredible mm. cast, like we just said. Like, they are fantastic. Um, and I mean, most people that talk about Stand By Me, I think when they first saw it, didn't know it was Stephen King. No, I never did. Because it's a standalone film um, and it doesn't live or die as being an adaptation. And no. both mediums, the book and the film, are completely... Um, excellent examples of their medium. I would uh, I would assume if you're listening to this that you've watched Stand By Me. If you haven't, go and watch it. Um, but if you haven't read it, 
Get yourself a copy of Different Seasons. You'll probably find one in a charity shop somewhere or on Amazon. Go to the library, your local library. Go to your local library. Support your local library. Mm. Um, And even if you just read this story, the rest of them are fantastic too, but even if you just read this story... Definitely read them all. Shawshank's in there. Yeah, absolutely recommend it. I think it's, you know, and I haven't read Nightmares and Dreamscapes yet. I'm going to recommend that to you, Emma. I will put it on my reading list. But that's it, I think, for us for, for Stand By Me. So just remains to say that we've got loads of other really cool content coming up on our main fan critical channels as well as bastards and broken things our game of thrones podcast but i guess you're uh, you're waiting to hear what we're going to be covering next tell us tell us tell, tell us, us tell us surprise for you so we're going to be doing some more of different seasons we're going to review the 1998 adaptation of apt pupil Ooh. another short story from different seasons which stars ian mckellen brad Sir renfro and uh and joshua jackson so short story about this from me um because i loved the short story book different seasons so much and i loved shawshank and stand by me i think for christmas or something i got a box set with all of them in it yeah vhs's so it had stand by me shawshank and apt pupil so somewhere that that still exists in my life yeah so i have seen apt pupil and I look forward to discussing it with well, you. I have not, but I have read the short story, obviously. So I'm quite looking forward to seeing what... I mean, Brad Renfro. Where's R. that R. come P. from? Everybody's dead. Not everyone. Sir Ian McKellen yeah, is not. thank God. And I don't think Joshua Jackson is either. Also, thank God. Used yeah. to love him. That's another story. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that next time. Uh, but for now, I think it's time to say goodbye until we get to Apt Pupil. So in the meantime, follow us on social media. Uh, you've got all of the covers for that. So we're fan underscore critical on Instagram, at fancriticalpod on Twitter, fancritical on Facebook, or you can email us, fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Drop us a line. And speaking of dropping stuff, drop us a few bucks on Patreon if you're feeling flush and you want some more exclusive content. Please, sir, please. Please. Um, really exciting new stuff coming out. We've got loads of cast hits coming up and if you uh, if you want to go for one of the higher tiers, you can commission your own podcast. Yeah, tell us what to do. We love being yeah. told what to do. I hate having to decide what to review. Tell us. We'll give you the opportunity to do that. Please, God, do it. Please do. Uh, but for now, it's time for Lucy and I to say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, bye, bye. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see No, I won't be afraid Oh, I won't be afraid Just as long as you stand Stand by me So darling, darling, stand by me Oh, stand by me Oh, stand Stand by me Stand by me It's the sky that we look upon Should tumble and fall Or the mountain should crumble Just as long as you stand, stand by me.